I'd like to encourage you to open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2 as we continue our trek through the books of Peter. It's been so fun preaching systematically through 1 Peter and 2 Peter because there's so many things that correlate one to another and uh, we don't have anything different today. So 2 Peter chapter 2, but before we read the text, I want to make a couple clarifications uh, two weeks ago when I preached last, I made a statement uh, of how ludicrous it would be for someone to believe myths and uh, the things that he talks about back in chapter 1, these ideas and, and myths and kind of just crazy ideas out there, right? It would be ludicrous for people to actually put faith in things like Star Wars and the Force and all those kind of things. It would be crazy for people to really believe the, the writings of... Uh, uh, of the Lord of the Rings and all those things, that that was real or that there was some kind of closet that you could walk into some strange world. While some of those things do present biblical truth, it would be crazy for somebody to actually believe those types of things. Well, 1.5% of the population of New Zealand marked on their census that they are Jedi Knights. 0.7% of Wales and England claim to be part of the Jedi religion. Now, just to be fair, some of this was probably just part of a joke because they didn't like being asked what their religion was on the census. However, there are people actually out there who believe in the Force. So much so that, that does anybody know what Star Wars Day is in the United States? May the 4th. Why? May the fourth be with you. <laughs> I mean, so there are there are these strange and ridiculous beliefs out there, some of which our parishioners obviously know about. Uh, you you would think that they would be crazy those ideas. How about crop circles? anybody anybody remember the crop circles that came out? I was just a teenager or, or even younger when those first came out. Everybody was astounded by these circles that magically appeared in these fields, and there's lots of conspiracy theories and and all those different things. Uh, who, where they came from, I think it was a bunch of college students, but that may just be what I saw on TV. I don't know where they came from. What I, what I do know is this. We don't draw energy from them, do we? Well, there's a group of people who believe we do. They believe that you can spend time around a crop circle and actually draw energy from them so that you can be a better person. That's strange, isn't it? That is ludicrous. And, and when we think about things like being a Jedi Knight and, uh, and the, the Chosen One, Luke Skywalker, being our whatever... I mean, that stuff, we're not fooled by that. Most of you in here, you, you hear that and you're like, man, that is, out, that is outrageous. That is crazy. However, in our text this morning, we're going to see that there are some other types of false teachers and false prophets out there that may lure us in better. Two of the fastest growing teaching groups in the United States that are heretical, that, that are heresy, are known as the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons. They, they teach something that's closer to something biblical. However, it is twisted truth, and it is not even close to truth. And so their, their number one target, their number one target are Christians. People who, who claim to be Christians that, that don't really know what they believe. Scientology is third. They don't necessarily claim to be Christians, so some of them use the term Christian science. Here's what I want us to see. We are living in perhaps the most anti-intellectual period in the history of Christianity. Not anti-academic or anti-scientific, but anti-mind. We have absolutely dismissed 
uh, are, are, are gotten outside of our minds with the things that we believe. And I doubt that there's ever been a time in church history uh, when professing Christians have been less concerned about doctrine than they are in our day. We hear almost daily that doctrines don't matter. Christianity is about a relationship, not a religion, not a creed. There is not simply indifference toward doctrine, but outright hostility, which is exceedingly dangerous and lamentable in our time. We cannot even do a cursory reading of the Scriptures without seeing uh, the enormous emphasis accorded to doctrine. And that unsound doctrine and false teaching are, are not merely errors in abstraction, but are profoundly destructive to the life of Christians. And so, when we dismiss doctrine, we are in a very dangerous place. We were talking in our men's group a couple weeks ago about words like justification and sanctification and some other words. And we were talking about them in this, this way that kind of, you know, a lot of people think those are just words for the spiritually elite to discuss at seminary or in some other place. But the reality is these are words that Paul taught the Roman church. These are things that are taught throughout Scripture. These are things that the most basic Christian should know. So, today I hope that we will see the seriousness of false teaching and learn about how we can combat false teaching in our church, at the Vine, and in the church abroad. Let's read 2 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment... If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds, and he saw and heard that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Peter jumps right into this idea of false teaching, having, having just told them about uh, the sure word in the previous chapter, that the real prophets who spoke the oracles of God and told about these great truths of Scripture and about the, the apostles who preached the Word, he changes his focus to the deceptive words of those who would teach false teachings. Through true prophets, God has spoken to His people. Through false prophets, Satan has always tried to obscure and contaminate God's message. What is a false prophet? A false prophet is a, a teacher or someone who claims to be speaking truth about God, but are speaking lies, twisting the truth. Where's the first time we read about someone twisting the truth in the Bible? In the Garden of Eden. The very first false prophet, Satan himself, comes to Eve 
hey, did God say don't eat from this tree? Yes, God said that. God said we'll die if we eat from that tree. What does Satan say? Surely you will not die. And we see this deception, this twisting of God's word. Think of the, think of that. He, he's doing the same ever since. Satan has tried to twist God's word, confusing God's people. And as servants of the deceiver, these false prophets that he speaks about in the Old Testament, they, they propagate lies of falsehood in their systematic attack of the truth. If you read the Old Testament prophets, you'll hear them proclaiming God's word to his people. Mostly God's justice and mercy uh, and, and God's judgment that was imminent. We see this cycle throughout the Old Testament. God raises these prophets up. His people are living in sin. They're doing things that they know they ought not do. Uh, and, and God sends a prophet. And he tells them, hey, listen, God's going to judge you. If you. But if you'll turn from your wicked ways and listen, God will have mercy and have grace. And they don't turn. And God's judgment comes. It's this vicious cycle throughout the Old Testament. And so during this time, we see false prophets rise up. We'll take Jeremiah, for example. Jeremiah, the prophet of God, he pronounced God's judgment on God's people if they would not turn from their sins. But the scripture says that his hearers had itching ears. Others were in the same time teaching people, don't worry, God is a God of love and peace. Don't listen to Jeremiah, this prophet of gloom and doom. Does that sound familiar? Jeremiah 8.11 says, They healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. And Jeremiah 23 is a chapter filled with teachings about false prophets. I just want to read a few verses to you. It says, I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have a dream, I have a dream. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams and they, that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal? Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who, let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who using, use their tongues and declare, declares the Lord. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness when I did not send them to, or charge them. So they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. So we see that quickly... Here, Peter makes this reference to false prophets arose among the people. And you can read throughout all the prophets. There were people who rose up and who prophesied things that were not true. Things that were just not right. Jesus warned the disciples of this. Not just the Old Testament thing, but the New Testament as well. Jesus warned the disciples not to be misled. That there would be many people who would come in the name of Christ. They were not of Christ. We're, we're told about the two roads. There will be many who profess Christ who say, did we not... Uh, cast out demons in your name? Did we not do all these great works in your name? And he'll say, depart me, for I never knew you. So there are these, these false teachers, these false, these pretenders, if you'll let me say it that way. And here's something we need to understand from this text. There will be false teachers among you. They will rise up within the church. This is not some strange Jedi force in Wales or England. This is reality right here. There will be people 
who teach false doctrine amongst us. We must beware. We must be on guard. He's warning them to understand the scriptures. Paul told Timothy to preach the word. Man, that's a good command. Preach the word. Now he's talking to a preacher. Preach the word. For a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. False teachers arise when the church begins to embrace the worldly culture around it. You follow the Old Testament prophets, you'll see this quick decline into worshiping other gods and wanting to be like the rest of the world. And God would raise up a prophet. And he would rise up and he would tell them, don't do this, don't do this. And other prophets would come and they would say, hey man, it's all good. Live however you want to live. Live it up. The days are short, man. Your life's short. Just live it up. God, God's not going to destroy you. God's not going to do what he's done throughout all of time. And that is judge sin. These false prophets rose up. And as a result, congregations, even in our time, no longer desire to endure sound doctrine. God-centered worship and preaching is replaced by man-centered antics and entertainment. A biblical emphasis on sin, repentance, and holiness is replaced by an emphasis on self-esteem and felt needs. People look for teachers who will proclaim only pleasant and positive ideas, who will smile real big at them, who will talk real nice to them in accordance to their own desires because they want to have their ears tickled. As a result, those popular teachers whom they accumulate for themselves will turn the minds of the people from truth, leaving them vulnerable to Satan's deceptive influence. The warning from Scripture is clear. False teachers will arise in the church. In fact, the church is one of Satan's primary spheres of operation. For that reason, we must be on guard. We must continually be on guard, constantly studying, proclaiming, and defending the truth of God's Word. And as Titus 1.9 says, so that he will be, this is talking about the man of God who preaches, so that he will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. So we've seen that there are Old Testament false teachers. We've seen that there will be false teachers. There are and will be false teachers amongst God's people in the church today. And folks, let's be real. We don't have to look very far to see. They will knock on your door, two by two, in nice white shirts with ties. And they will come, and they will, they will do something very clever. They will secretly introduce false teachings to you. They'll read out of your Bible. They'll try to show you out of your own scriptures their twisted truths. And some of them are easy. Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, they, they just don't believe Jesus is God. You know, you take them to John 1 1. In the beginning was God and the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Grab their Bible out of their hand. Show them where it says in their scriptures, and the Word was a God. Lowercase g. Those are things that are easy to refute. Mormons, they think Jesus and, and Satan are half brothers. That's pretty clever, huh? And there's some twisted truths out there. But if you're not careful, if you don't know what the truth is, you, for some, you'll be like, man, that sounds right. 
Something sounds right about that. So some of these are easy to, we as Christians, we, we're not going to become Jedi Knights. I pray to God that we don't fall into the seductive trap of those who teach jo the Jehovah's Witness teachings and Mormonism. But what about this health and prosperity gospel that's out there? What about these other teachings that, are, that sound really close to biblical teaching? They just change small portions to make us feel better about ourselves. They tell us that we can have our best life now and that everything's going to be all right if we'll simply believe. Live how you want. Just, just believe as if holiness is optional. These people fall for what is found in the next part of verse 1 and following. Look at it. Chapter 2, verse 1. Who secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master that bought them, bring upon themselves swift destruction. Peter introduces us to this word heresy. A heresy is, a, is an opinion, especially a, a self-willed opinion. It's, it's someone's own idea which is substituted for the submission to the truth. It's, it's, it's a twisted truth that leads to division. It usually leads to, to different sects. They have different organizations. We, we believe that that's exactly what happened to uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. And while heresy can simply refer to a sector division, most scholars think that in the context of, of this chapter, it refers to the worst kind of deviation and deception. Teaching that claims to be biblical, but is actually the very opposite. Now, it's important that we look at those word, that word secretly. Also seen as craftily or crafty. False teachers do not always oppose the gospel. Some claim to believe it, to have the true interpretation of it. But in truth, they misrepresent it. They offer some shallow, inadequate message that cannot save. And because their teaching is as lethal as it is so subtle, the self-styled opinions of these false teachers can damn the souls of unsuspecting, professed believers. Unless they repent, they believe the truth and turn to Christ, those who embrace these heretical doctrines will be eternally lost. Now, this does not fly in the face of the perseverance of the saints. We believe that once you know Christ, you will always know Christ. But there are those among us who left out from among us because they were not of us, as John said. There will be those who are deceived. How do we know there will be those who are deceived? Look at verse 2. And many will follow their sensuality. These false teachers will come and many people who are not born again will follow them. They will draw unto themselves crowds of people who are unbelievers who will follow them. They're, they're cunning. They sound a lot like Christianity. Now, we wouldn't need such a warning if false teachers were easy to spot, right? Paul says in 2 Corinthians, such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Hey, this is a warning that not everything that looks good is good. One of my favorite books when I was a kid was a book by the Bernstein Bears. It was about a bad apple. Some of you may have read it. This apple was beautiful. It looked so pretty, but when they cut it open, it was rotten on the inside. That's exactly what these false teachings are. On the outside, they look nice and pretty. When you cut them open, they're filled with rot 
and decay. It's this this sleight of hand. Sometimes the same words with with a different dictionary. You ever talk to someone and ask them, hey man, would you help me out? And you can tell by their answer that they really don't want to help you out. You might get this, sure man, I'll help you out. Or, sure man, I'll, I'll help you out. Or how about going to dinner with your wife or friend? You want to you go to this restaurant? Uh, yeah, yeah, I really, I do. I want to go to that restaurant. I mean, they're saying, you, you got the words. They're saying that's exactly where I want to go, but you know in your heart they don't really mean what they're saying, right? Here we have these guys that are deceptive. If you're really good, you'll tell your spouse, yes, that's where I want to go. But deep down inside, you really want to go there, right? So these heresies is, uh, are, are spreading throughout our church. And you know, here's a heresy that is becoming more prevalent in the, in the Christian realm. It's that Christians must become tolerant of sin. We must excuse sin and give up our stiff beliefs in the importance of holiness. read an article about an ordained Baptist minister yesterday who took his partner with him to get a marriage license and was denied and arrested. Supported by his entire church, article was titled, Gay and Baptist, How an Oxymoron May Save the Church. We thought it was just other denominations. Recently, Louis Giglio, a prominent evangelical pastor, teacher, leader of the passion movement, so to speak, uh, was asked to speak to uh, do the benediction at the inauguration this year. But some folks on the left pulled up some preaching sermons from 20 years ago that he preached about homosexuality. A belief that he still holds today that unless homosexuals repent, and place their faith in Jesus Christ, they will spend eternity separated from God in a real place called hell. Amid the pressure from people, he gracefully bowed out. I got all idea that he was asked to bow out or he would have been booed out. It's this idea of tolerance. We're supposed to to tolerate things, right? See, folks believe that they can believe whatever they want. You just better not believe anything contrary to what they believe. That they just won't tolerate. I sent out a tweet the other day after I read that. I was so distressed by it. I said, I am tired of tolerating people who will not tolerate my intolerance. It is a a terrible argument. We're not going to be tolerated for our intolerance. Isn't that the definition of intolerance? So don't believe anything you want to believe. Let us believe anything we want to believe. It's subtle. Just give a little on your convictions. Just uh, Pastors don't have to really be what Scripture says they're to be. Pastors can be involved in this somewhat, this, this completely sexual and moral lifestyle. I mean, isn't that where this verse goes to? Look at verse 2. It says, many will follow their sensuality. Now that, ref- that word sensuality is a reference to blatant immorality most likely sexual immorality. This is someone who is lost to shame. They, they are uh, past the stage of wishing to conceal sin or being ashamed of it. They, this is why they undermine the truth for their own pleasure. Those religions are, are much more appealing anyway, right? Those religions that teach, hey, just live however you want to live, be free. Aren't they much more appealing? Now follow me here. 
Watch this progression. Less holiness, more appealing. How many of you want to come to a church where you're challenged, where you're challenged to be holy, to live a godly, righteous life? All of you should raise your hands. Amen. Good. I see those hands. Is that the norm in our society? People want to hear what they want to hear. So less holiness in our society, more appealing. More appealing in our society, more people. Right? More people, more money. Can I get a witness? Doesn't that fit our text? Look at verse 3. And in their greed, they will exploit you with their false words. They want you to come tie, give a good offer. You see the connection here? Now, am I saying that every big church is doing No, don't, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. What I'm saying is we better be very careful not to fall for some false teaching out there. I read one commentator this week as I was studying this. That the preacher ought to have a nice house, not a mansion. Now, we could get into that argument all day, but I drove past the preacher's house the other day, and I thought, my word, I wonder how many people live in that thing. Monstrosity of a house. Is that wrong? No, I don't know. We could pray about that later. But the reality is there are certain people who do this for greed. They preach what people want to hear, and they will be very careful not to say anything to offend people because they know where their bread is buttered on. They know their next check is coming from those people that they hear. Not everybody's like that, but there are people out there that are like that. They're in it for sordid gain. And worse. These false teachers are even worse than this. Walk with me through verses 11. or We'll pick up in verse 10 and read to the end of the chapter. Listen to how he describes these false teachers. You'll like this. Especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. They defile, they love defiling passion and they despise authority. They are bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these like irrational animals... Creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blasphemous about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. We're going to get into their destruction in just a few minutes. Suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. These are people who don't even hide their sinfulness anymore. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They look for those people who are, who are teeter-tottering, who are wavering in their beliefs. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Yeah, I was at a church about 10 years ago and uh, asked the question about the talking donkey. Where, where do we find a talking donkey at? Do you know what the answer I got from the teenagers was? Shrek. You're talking about Shrek. <laughs> oh, how our times have changed. When I was a kid, you asked me about a talking donkey. I'm taking you to Balaam because that's a story I'll never forget. A donkey talked to a guy. It's in the Bible. 
Verse 17, these are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. Listen, what, is a, what does a big storm usually bring? Rain, that's right. It brings rain and thunder and lightning. Listen, it, these people, these false prophets, they sound real big. They make thunder and lightning, but they just produce mists. Do you see that? They don't, it's not even profitable. For them, for them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. And we don't have time to get into deep detail about this, but this idea that these people have known the way of truth and yet have rejected, not only rejected it, but taught against it, there seems to be this theme throughout Scripture that their punishment will be more severe than people who haven't heard or people who haven't preached against the gospel. And you can study that on your own. Me and Pastor Andy would love to talk to you about that. I'm not going to take too much time on that, but the reality is... You don't want to be in hell, period. But those people who blaspheme the name of God and who teach and drag others with them, there seems to be a very special place in hell for them, even worse than that of everyone else. So we see through this that there is a plethora of ideas about false teaching. And, and if you study not just church history, you'll see that these prophets, this, this scripture came to pass. In your day, some of you have seen the likes of Jim Jones. You've seen the likes of David Koresh. And those are just extremists who have done exactly what this scripture has said. Just brought to themselves sensual. Talking about how they were the Christ and they were this and that. And slept with so many people and did whatever they wanted to do. That's exactly what this scripture is talking about. But it also speaks of those subtle ones. Those, those ones that are cunning. That They're just or heresy in general. So how can we combat that? What can we do not to fall to these temptations? Well, number one, you can know the truth. You must know sound doctrine. Church, listen. If you don't get anything else from this message, hear me. You must know sound doctrine. You must know the Word of God. I mean, the old illustration of someone who knows how to pick out counterfeit money is not that they know what a counterfeit bill looks like, but they know so much about what the real dollar bill looks like that they can spot a fake. We must know so much what the real truth is that anytime a falsehood comes across us, we're able to dispute it. We're able to contradict it and show them the truth. Just this week, sat down with a man who began to talk to me about the scriptures being something given by man. This is a, this is a man-made text, man. This is something that, man, I said, listen to what the scripture says. But he believed the Bible, but he just believed man brought it. I said, holy men, moved by the Holy Spirit, carried along by Christ. This scripture is God-breathed. This is not just any ordinary text. Don't treat it that way. We defend the faith. Someone who, who was not versed in, in the scriptures could have said, you know, what do you mean? And they would explain that men wrote the Bible. Men did write it. Not just any men. Men moved by the Holy Spirit who spoke God's words. We've got to know the truth. Secondly, Test everything. 
I am dead serious. You test what you hear preached. You test what you hear preached from this pulpit. We proclaim the truth, but listen, don't take our word for it. You study, learn, grow. We're not holding you back, man. Read the scriptures. Know the truth and test everything. When you hear things on the radio, you hear things, just because it sounds good, don't, don't necessarily believe it that way. Test it. Make sure it lines up with the rest of scripture and then move on. So know the truth and test everything. And the last thing I want us to see in this passage is we see the God of wrath and rescue. The God of wrath and rescue. One of the greatest heretics in Christian history was known as Marcion. He was about 80 to 100 years after Peter that he wrote. He was son of a bishop, so he likely knew the Christian doctrines and scriptures. A lot of the heresies we see today uh, derive from, this, uh, from his heresies. He knew the Christian doctrines and scriptures, but he didn't like them. He, he decided that the strict law-giving God of the Old Testament looked nothing like the loving, compassionate God who sent Jesus Christ to save us. Many other falsehoods he taught. He didn't believe that God created the world because it was so corrupt. There was so many things that, that this guy taught. And we see throughout Scripture a clear connection between the God of the Old Testament and New Testament. So Marcion simply, because he couldn't have the way he thought, he decided, I will reject the entire Old Testament. So he rejected the Old Testament and he selected and edited parts of the New Testament to accommodate his own theology. Now, that's ludicrous enough for me and you to say, yeah, right. And that's what the, the second century church did. They rejected this very quickly and decisively. However, the two sides of God's character still puzzles believers today, somewhat because of what Marcion taught. And Scripture does seem to present two sides of the same God. The attributes of justice, judgment, and wrath on the one side, and the attributes of mercy, salvation, and blessing on the other. I want you to hold your place in 2 Peter, and I want you to go to Exodus chapter 34. In Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, we find what some refer to as the riddle of the Old Testament. I want you to listen to this verse, and, uh, and then we're going to talk about it for just a minute, and we're going to close in just a few minutes. Exodus chapter 34, four, verses 6 and 7. It says, uh, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. Some call this the riddle of the Old Testament. How can a God who is merciful and forgiving and slow to anger, yet by no means clear the guilty? How does that work? You have a God who's forgiving yet says he's going to punish sin. Well, the first part of that text is one that we would hang over our mantle, isn't it? Loving and merciful, our God. But the second verse reminds us of the sobering reality that God refuses to wink at sin. Sin must be punished. In our text, false teachers get condemnation and destruction, the scripture says, 
even severer destruction than just anybody. They are destroyed by God. That's what false teachers get. God judges sin. He is a God of wrath to be feared. The wicked will not stand in the assembly of the righteous. He is a judging God. He judges sin. So what we also see in these verses is that God rescues his children from wrath. Back to 2 Peter. You held your place there, right? This is where we see what we read earlier about Noah's world being destroyed, about Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed, and God rescuing righteous Lot, rescuing Noah. Look at verse number 9. It says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. So he saved Noah and his family. He saved Lot and his family. And have God rescued Noah and Lot in times of such great ungodliness. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly. So how does that work with Exodus? I thought the guilty were going to be punished. And the reality is we're all guilty. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all transgressed God's commands. We have all gone astray. Lot and Noah were both sinners. So Exodus says that he will not clear the guilty, yet he forgives the iniquity and transgressions of sin. How can this be? One name. The name that is above all names. The name that at one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Jesus is the answer to the riddle of the Old Testament. How can he forgive and yet punish sin at the same time he punishes sin on his completely perfect son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf? Jesus, God, became man, took our punishment upon himself. Our guilt and judgment was placed upon the sinless son of God. So when we look at this text and we see these false teachers and their destruction is imminent. God will destroy them because of their sin. We can be equally confident that God will rescue us from our sin because of the price that Jesus paid on our behalf. Folks, that's good news. That is the gospel. Don't fall for false teaching. Trust Christ. Plead to Christ. Follow Christ. Listen. Some ask, which God is he? Is he the God of gloom and doom of the Old Testament? Or is he the God of grace and salvation in the New Testament? He's both. It depends on where you are, what side of God you'll see. Have you trusted Christ? Has he opened your eyes to his salvation? If so, you will be rescued in this ungodly world, in this culture that is quickly, quickly declining. If not, you'll face a similar destruction as those who teach